The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in His kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. To the wild, to the Father, hold fast, hold fast. To each other, sisters and brothers, Hold fast, hold fast Well I'm not a letting go, not a letting go No I'm not a letting go, not a letting go Of the wire, in trouble the waters Hold fast There's so much one can carry Before breaking down When the seasons left us wanting nothing more To put it in the ground In the ground Thus we not waver from our hope's confession For He has promised us His faithfulness To the wire, to the Father Hold fast, hold fast To each other, oh sisters and brothers
good morning and thank you so much for joining us from wherever you are. I'm thankful that no matter where we've come from this week, whether it's been a place of joy or a place of struggle, here we get to rest together and settle in with the Lord. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for all that you've done for us and all that you continue to do in the ways you're present in our lives, in our comings and our goings. I pray that we would feel your presence this morning wherever we are, that you are not confined to a place, but you dwell within us, among us, and work through us. Would you use us to do your good works for your people and all those around us this week and do a good work in us this morning that springs forth throughout our days to come. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit we pray, amen.
As we continue in worship this morning, would you recite this offertory prayer along with me? Our risen Lord, all that we have is yours. Our presence and offering to your glory, our talents, the humble bricks of your kingdom, our very best laying before you in gratitude. We submit this offering to the honor of your great mission. Work within us, around us, and through us. Bind us together in your redeeming work. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. 
Hello everyone. It's always an honor for me to get to steward this time of invitations and gratitude. A reminder that we are gathering outdoors at 9 and 11 a.m. on both campuses for a 45-minute service. It's a great opportunity to safely gather and worship together in person. And as we monitor the weather, we will be moving safely indoors as we encounter rain and the coming heat of the summer. We do ask that you register at EcclesiaHouston.org so that we can best prepare to receive you. But if at the last minute you find that you can come to one of these services, we are keeping space available for you too. We would love to see you. And we are excited to have you at one of our outdoor gatherings on Sunday, May 9th, for a special Mother's Day celebration, both downtown and on the west side. So switching gears a little bit, we know that some of you may be in a season where you are finding it difficult to pray or even just be with God. Perhaps your previous ways of engaging with God don't seem to fit anymore. So we invite you into a time of guided prayer and reflection through contemplative spiritual practices at our Be Still gathering, which is starting a new season Tuesday, May 4th. Join us on Tuesday nights from 8 to 8.30 p.m. Our goal is to create spaciousness for you to connect and commune with God. To register, go to ecclesiahouston.org slash online care. If you have registered previously, no need to register again. And speaking of contemplative practices, would you join me in a deep breath and offer a prayer of gratitude for something or someone in your life? Amen. And sisters and brothers, we are grateful for you. Ecclesians have been coming together this past month to serve our unhoused sisters and brothers through cooking, meal distribution, and by making kits of essential items to give out. We have been overwhelmed with your response to join us in these efforts and are currently full on these hosting opportunities. But we do invite you into other ways to respond. We have an Amazon wish list of items that you can purchase and have them sent to our downtown campus for our hygiene kits, snacks, and other pieces to make up our weekly kit distribution. You can find that link at ecclesiahouston.org slash outreach. Another way to contribute is by giving. And just as a reminder, you can text your donation to 84321 or give through our Church Center app or go online to ecclesiahouston.org slash giving. Our outreach pastor, Manny, extends a personal thank you for helping to create spaces where you and me become we. Let's now turn our hearts and minds toward even more that God has for us through Pastor Chris's message. Ecclesia, this is Pastor Chris, and I'm so excited to teach you today. I'm, uh, I'm teaching on something 
I'm really preaching to me. So if you feel convicted and you feel have that feeling like, like Pastor Chris has been reading my emails or somehow he's gotten inside my head because he knows what's going on with me, trust me, that's not it. It's what I'm struggling with and I'm excited to get to open the scriptures with you and hopefully help you, help me, help all of us uh, find some freedom and some peace in this season. And we are continuing to celebrate the beauty of the resurrection. Easter was an amazing time. And every week that we're gathering outside here at Elder and at Westside, it's been beautiful. And we're moving back towards something that's much more normal. And part of what I've been reflecting on is this reality that our world's got really small for a while and social media became even more important, right? And important in some good ways and important in some really difficult ways. I don't know about you, but one of the things that social media does to me is it creates a little bit of jealousy. Like right now, I'm, uh, I'm trying to trim up. I went skiing in January and uh, it was awesome. And I got a bad hip, I broke my hip years ago. I got in about a half day and I was done. And I realized like it might be the extra 15 pounds that's on my hip that makes my hip not do as well. And so now I'm, I lost some weight and I'm trying to lose some more, so I'm doing keto. And I don't know if you've ever done keto, but you know what you want when you're on keto? You want like spaghetti and you want carbs and all the things you can't have. And that's life, right? We want all the things we can't have. And for many of us, Instagram and Facebook and all the social media platforms have become an opportunity to create envy. We look at other people's life and think, I want that and I wish I had that. And it sets us up for failure. And we end up actually saying things and doing things that we never thought we would do. In Luke 6.43, Jesus describes this reality for each of us. That when things happen that are disappointing or maybe surprising, maybe you're like me and you've seen somebody fail and a part of you actually cheered it. You actually went, huh, why am I... I kind of smiled when I found out bad news about them. Anybody else have that happen to them? And you go, oh, something's off. And maybe as you start to really pray through it and reconcile, you say, that's not where I'm at. That's not where I want to be. But a part of you is that way. And Jesus makes clear, this is the reality of who we are. He says, you can count on this. No good tree bears bad fruit and no bad tree bears good fruit. You can know a tree by the fruit it bears. You don't find figs on a thorn bush and you can't pick grapes from a briar bush. It's the same with people. A person full of goodness in his heart produces good things. A person with an evil reservoir in his heart pours out evil things. The heart overflows in the words a person speaks. Your words Jesus says, reveal what's in your heart. When I do something and I say something, I'd like to think often like, that's out of character. But the truth is, it just reveals the character that's there. It's like a toothpaste tube, right? You squeeze it, you find out what's in it. And over the last year and a half, we've been squeezed. And if you're like me, not everything that came out you were thrilled with. As I told you the story last week, and I've gotten so many comments from you, people that are excited, because we all love a resurrection story, right? Why do we watch all these home improvement shows? Why do we love Chip and Joanna Gaines? Why do we love to see a show where people 
do what I'm trying to do and lose weight and get their body together. And get, we love it because we love a story of transformation and resurrection. It's who we are. And I told you the story about my son Solomon finding this Porsche that sat for 15 years, right? And, uh, and he's gotten it restored. It's beautiful. It's a really fun car. We paid 800 bucks for it, right? And he's, he's just continuing to upgrade it. It's going to be a beautiful, fun car to have until we sell it. And, uh, at some point we have to sell it because I'm pretty sure the insurance is not going to be great on it, right? But as he talked about what the next transformation would be, the next car, right? I had to remind him, like, as you're looking around, right? There's one thing in my experience, there's one thing to look for. Uh, any car can be restored, right? But some are going to be harder than others. And there's certain problems you don't want to deal with, right? And if you're restoring a car, you may know already, one of the main problems you don't want to deal with is what? It's rust, right? If you got rust, I know from experience, because when I was his age, I tried to restore an old Volkswagen. I thought it was awesome because it was from my birth year. It was 1971. It was a convertible. I think I paid 300 bucks for it, right? And uh, I got all of $300 worth. I, I inspected it with my dad in a, a, a like Walmart parking lot or something. And we saw a few spots of rust, but we weren't smart enough to crawl under the chassis, right? And I'm not kidding. I was driving it one day and I hit the clutch and literally it was like Fred Flintstone. My foot went all the way through the chassis, right? And was on the ground. And uh, if I was going faster, it would have been really dangerous. And uh, I got it to the body shop and the guy's like, man, this car's not gonna make it, right? It's, it's rusted out, it's rusted out. The whole chassis has gone and replacing the chassis, that's not an easy thing, right? And I believe we're all made for resurrection stories. There are parts of your life, maybe like mine, that you need a new start, you need a fresh start, and you feel God bringing on this beautiful resurrection opportunity, an opportunity of new life. And I'll just tell you, there's one thing, like rust in a car, that will destroy that, in my experience. And it's envy. It's this place where you look at everybody else's life and you want what they have, and you can't quite grasp an, a, an opportunity, an ability to be content with what you have. And social media makes it the worst. I remember when I started Ecclesia and our very first small group, I had a friend and he said it more clearly than anybody I'd ever heard. And I loved his honesty. And I thought, this is the kind of church I want to be a part of. And my friend just said, he, he said, I'm, I'm addicted to comparison. He said, the reality is every time I walk into a room, if we go to a party or I'm at a business meeting, he said, I instantly start to rank myself in the room. Who's more important? Who's better than I am? Who's richer? Who's better looking? Who's this? And he figures out where he ranks in the room. Now, maybe you're not as sophisticated at it as my friend was. I'm not quite that sophisticated, but I heard him and I thought, I've got that problem too. I compare, but it's not good for me. In Luke 9, we get this beautiful teaching and instruction from Jesus. He's sending his disciples out. And this is what he says. He says, travel light on your journey. Don't take a staff, a backpack, bread, money, or even extra change of clothes. When you enter a house, stay there until you leave the city. Jesus tells them to pack really light. Now, part of it when I read this, I think he wants them to travel light because he wants them to depend on him, right? And that's good for me and for you. But I also wondered if they packed a backpack, if they might be doing what we do and go, my backpack's better than your backpack, right? I mean, I got bread, I got the really good artisan bread, and you just got some, like your mom makes pretty lousy bread, like everything they had. You know what they do? They do what we do. In fact, we see it in the same gospel. They're walking down those roads, and you know what they start talking about? Who's the greatest? Who's the best? Right? Can you imagine? We're not quite as uh, forthright with it, 
but they're walking down the road and they're just like, am I better than you? Or are you better than me? Like, who's the best? Let's create our ranking, just like my friend. And it literally, Ecclesia, it's cancer for our soul. It's the rust that keeps us from being able to experience a new story and the resurrection power in our life because it breeds, right? Comparison and competition. And you know what happens when we're comparing and competing? It becomes impossible to do what the, the church has called us to do. What Paul said, this is what the church does. We rejoice with those who rejoice and we mourn with those who mourn. Envy flips it on its head. And you know what we do? We rejoice when people mourn and we mourn when people rejoice. When we start to envy, when somebody has a big success, if we're in a place of envy, we actually mourn that success. We grieve it instead of doing what we're made to do, which is rejoice with them. Right? When they grieve and they mourn, when they fail, we actually rejoice. Now, I don't know if you see that in yourself. I've seen it in myself and it's not who we're made to be. Solomon says it this way in Proverbs, and I think it's beautiful. In Proverbs 14, Solomon said, a serene heart can add years to one's life, but jealous passion rots the bones. What does envy do? It literally, it rots the bones. He, he says it a different way in Ecclesiastes 4, and he, and he has this epiphany in verse four. And he says, I saw this. I saw that all toil and achievement, right? He says everything that everybody does. If you look at somebody that has great achievement and they've done something really amazing and they've worked really hard, he says, and now he's probably exaggerating a bit, but hear it. He says, all toil and achievement spring from one person's envy of another. He says, this too is meaningless. He says, this is what it is. It's chasing after the wind. If you're envying what somebody else has, their life, their wife, their house, their success, like me and keto, their food, right? I want whatever food you just posted, I want that food, right? And if you spend your life chasing what other people have, he says it's literally like chasing after the wind, right? What happens when you chase after the wind? You never catch it. You're never satisfied. There's never an end to it. If your life's about comparison, it'll never end. You'll always compare yourself to somebody greater and there will never be satisfaction. And so he goes on and he describes this and I think it's beautiful. He says, there was once a man all alone. He had neither a son or a brother. Now this is what you need to know. If he didn't have uh, a son or a brother, what he's saying here is he didn't have anybody to leave his uh, possessions to. He didn't have an inheritor. And there was no end to his toil. He just kept working and working. Yet his eyes were not content with his wealth. He had all this wealth. He had nobody to leave it to and he still didn't have enough. And he started to ask this question. And it's a great question. He said, for whom am I toiling? And why am I depriving myself of enjoyment? This too is meaningless. Years ago, I wrote a book about the, the, the Tao of Enron, the things we could learn from Enron. I got to spend a lot of time with Kinley. Kinley was the son of a Baptist pastor. I'll never forget asking this question because the question jarred him. Right? Ken had a lot of vacation homes. He had a lot of homes. He had a lot of things. He'd achieved a lot. He had a lot of wealth. And I asked him at one point, I said, Ken, when, um, when, is, when do you have too much? Like, how much is too much? I got to tell you, Ecclesia. Ken didn't like that question. Now, this is part of what pastors do. We ask you questions you're not supposed to like. I wonder for you, how much is too much? 
If you'd have asked me when I was a kid, like, how much money do you want to make, right? I didn't grow up around much money. I'd say, if I had enough money to eat Mexican food whenever I wanted, I'd be rich, right? I mean, and you live in Houston, there's great Mexican food. Like, if I just had money, I didn't have to worry about it. And uh, I mean, when you're a teenager, like, if you have enough money to take a girl to a Mexican food restaurant on a date, you're kind of crushing it, right? That's pretty much all you need, right? And at that point in life, I'd have said, that's all I need. And yet, life gets more complicated, and we want more and more and more, and it's never enough. And then Solomon says this, and I think it's beautiful. He says, better one handful with tranquility, with peace, with contentment, than two handfuls with toil. He says, that is a chasing after the wind. What if Ecclesia, we'd just be content with one handful? We want two and three and four, and it's never enough. What if one handful was enough? He says, it would be a gift. And that, then he taps into something. He says, but this is what many will do. If they can't have as much as somebody else, they fold their hands, they become depressed, right? And essentially what you do is go, if I can't be as successful as this person that I see on Instagram, then I suck, right? And there's nowhere in between. Like, it's either I'm going to have what they have or I suck. And it's a bad story. This is a bad narrative. This is not the life we want to live. No, you don't suck. You're just you. And you're supposed to be you. And that's different than the person you see on Instagram. And by the way, they've cropped and edited those photos to the point that it doesn't reflect reality anyway. Right? And what seems like two handfuls to them is not really two handfuls. And this is what I'd like to say, let great people, right? If you, if you read a biography about a great leader, right? I'll never forget reading uh, the biography of George H.W. Bush written by George W. Bush, right? And there's something about a son writing about a father, but his humility when he had great accomplishments was amazing. There are things I saw like, I wanna be like that. Would you let other people inspire you, not compare? I couldn't compare my life to George H.W. Bush, right? Like just what he did in China alone before he was ever a president, right, as an ambassador was just fascinating and amazing, right? I can't compare my life, but you know what I could do is let his life inspire my life, that I could do amazing things, different but amazing, and be humble about it. And, and believe that I'm not done doing those amazing things. No matter how long I'm alive, I'm gonna keep going. This is what Jesus tells us and the Bible tells us over and over and over again. Do not compare yourselves to one another. Instead, what does he say? Love one another. That's what we're made to do. So let me just send you out with three thoughts about what envy does. And I wanna invite you to ask God to take your envy away and to give you a contentment that can only come from him. Here's three things that envy does that I think are really dangerous, and here's the first. Envy takes your focus off of your blessings. When you're looking at what somebody else has, you forget what you have. And you know what, what you have is a lot. Do you have your health? Do you have family? Do you have people that love you? Do you have a place to live, right? Have you been out recently with our brothers and sisters that are without homes? And in that place, can you be reminded, like wherever I live, it's great, it's great. And what God's given me is amazing. And there is a beautiful exercise to just counting your blessings. I, I'd encourage you to do it today. Would you just write down the things that you're blessed with and thank God for them? And if you're thinking about what somebody else has, you're not gonna count your own blessings, which means you're not going to appreciate what you have, which would be a shame because you know who gave you what you have? God did. And it'd be great to thank him for it. Secondly, this is what envy does. Envy makes empathy impossible. Now. I'll tell you what the world needs more of right now is empathy. No matter who you're seeing and how well edited their photos are, 
I'll promise you, their life is filled with some pain that you don't know or understand. All of our lives are. And when you are envying and desiring what other people have, it makes it impossible to empathize with their pain and their sorrow. And the world right now, more than ever, needs empathetic people. People that say, I don't know your story, but my guess is that you're doing your best with what you have. And I wanna love you and care for you and support you. And you literally can't do it if you're being jealous or envious of who people are and what God's given them. And then lastly, hear this, envy destroys relationships. This envy that creates a competition, it literally makes it impossible to be great friends with people. Do you, do you have that kind of friend that literally if you get a new car, they, they've got to get a new car, right? If you tell a great story, They've got to tell an even better story. They can't let you tell a great story without topping it. And, and they live with this sense of competition. If you're competing with someone, trust me, they know it. They know it. And nobody can be true friends with somebody that's competing with them because that person won't be able to be a friend and empathize with them when their life gets hard or celebrate with them when great things happen. Envy destroys relationships. And so Ecclesia, I wanna invite you today. Will you ask God to give you a gift of contentment? Will you ask this question that Solomon was asking in Ecclesiastes? Why am I working so hard? Like, what's it for? Well, I'm, I'm working for my kids. I'm working for my family. Are you really? Is that, is that really what they want, right? Is that what they really need? It, is what you're trying to achieve and the image you're trying to present, is that for you? Is that for God? Is that for the world? Why? Or phrase it another way in the way I ask him that. How much is too much? Like, is there a point that we ought to really share from our abundance? And the reality is we're made for that and we're at our best in that place. Ecclesia, will you let me pause and pray with you and for you? Lord God, I thank you for my brothers and sisters. I thank you that you made us and that you created us and that you gave us unique gifts. Each of us have gifts that other people don't have. And Lord, we pray that instead of coveting other people's gifts, of leadership or personality or great looks or things and possessions, instead of coveting those other things, that we would actually be content and celebrate the gifts and the blessings that you've given to us. Lord, give us eyes to see them clearly and bring down the walls that often separate us because of envy and allow us to be truly a family that rejoices when other people have something to rejoice about and mourns when other people have something to mourn. Lord, let us be those people. Bring down those walls. Take away the rust that would keep us from being fully resurrected and restored to be the people you made us to be. We pray all of this together, and we pray it in your name. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Chris, for your words that invite us to reflect your words that both challenge and encourage us. And now, sisters and brothers, we come to the table of Jesus. But before we partake of this feast, the scriptures tell us to take an internal look, an examination of our souls. And so would you join me in this confession prayer? In you, O Lord, we are raised to walk in new life but still we are prone to wander from your path. Forgive us, Lord, 
Grant us obedience to walk boldly, following you in faith. Our eyes remain clouded by the things of this world, even as your new creation is breaking through. Forgive us, Lord. Grant us vision for your kingdom. Help us to see you clearly. Our self-interest turns us inward. We are slow to empathy and compassion. Forgive us, Lord. Grant us hearts that break with yours. Make us instruments of your love for all people. Help us to leave these things at the foot of the cross. Help us to rise again, a forgiven people. Grant us grace for this day that we would place our hope in you once more. Amen. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, that night where he was arrested, he gathered with his disciples, his close friends, for the Passover meal. Jesus broke bread, gave thanks, and said, when you eat this, remember me. After the meal, he took wine and he said, this is the blood of my new covenant. When you drink this, remember me. Ecclesia, we are forgetful people and it is this invitation every week where we are invited to remember Jesus, to remember the incredible love that he has for us. And so, the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ shed for you. Let's taste and see the forgiveness, the redemption, the resurrection life in these elements. Amen. I am a 
sinner If it's not one thing, it's another Caught up in words, tangled in lies You are a savior and you take brokenness aside And you make it beautiful, beautiful And you make it beautiful, beautiful special time in our service where we get to honor the littlest among us, our special children. I am calling to mind right now a little girl who just got dedicated this week, Lucy. And little Lou has a really fun, bright, vibrant spirit. This prayer is for her and any child that you know. God, we bless all the little children that you know by name that you love, care for, adore, and guide. We pray that you would guide us to protect them, to nurture them, and to care for them in the ways that you care for us, unconditionally full of love, patience, and grace. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray, amen. Sisters and brothers, it has been a joy to have you gather with us online for this service. For our benediction today, I'll be reading a prayer from this really incredible book called A Rhythm of Prayer. It is a collection of essays and prayers by a diverse group of women compiled by Sarah Bessie. Today, I am reading Over You, a Psalm of Possibility 
by Reverend Gail Song Bantam. And this is for all those who are confronted by seeming boundaries, limitations, and impossibilities. This is a psalm reminding us of who God is in God's holy otherness and God's holy witness. God, creator, hoverer, you speak and we form. You breathe life and we awake. You said it is good and we believe. God, the Red Sea before us shouting impossibility. They say we can't, we shouldn't, and we wouldn't. Words seeded from our youth, the limits and the lies. There must be truer truths in us to confound, resist, defy. Created from nothing, said something, made everything, God. The Lord will fight for us, so we need only to be still. Still our soul, stand out loud, trusting that God is El Roy, God who sees, bears witness to a name, at her sound, leaps, demands possibility. Emmanuel, God with us, for us, within us. God, you said it is good and we believe. You breathe life and we awake. You speak and we form. Creator, Hoverer, God. Ecclesia, dwell in peace. We love you. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ecclesiahouston.org.